You're listening to the Regent College Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Regent College Podcast. I'm Claire Perini and today we're talking about the importance of studying the Bible. I'm joined by Rick Watts and Sarah Sardler. Rick Watts served as a professor of New Testament at Regent College for two decades and he now teaches in the Faculty of Theology at Alpha Crucis College in Sydney, Australia. Good place to be from. Uh, His areas of expertise include Mark, Isaiah or Isaiah, depending on where you're from, and the relationship of the Old Testament and the, New, the Old and New Testaments. Sarah is in her second year of studies at Regent, and she's currently doing her master's thesis on Second Corinthians. So, Sarah and Rick, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so Thank very you. much. Okay, you are both people who are excited about reading the Bible and studying the Bible. What gets you excited about it? November last year, I'm in the UK visiting with the Bible Society and I had a day off in the Cotswolds and they offered me a visit to Wales where they were having a film shoot. Now, it's about a two-hour trip and they arranged for a fellow to pick me up in kind of a limo and it turned out that he was a retired IT consultant for British Aerospace, so a fairly cluey guy. Mm-hmm. We get in the car, we have a long journey ahead. Uh, I start chatting to him and discover all his interests and he likes actually rebuilding ex-World War II vehicles and travels all over the place to do that. And uh, So after about 15, 20 minutes of that, he says to me, so what do you do? And that's always an interesting moment. Um, how do we shut this conversation down immediately or not? So I said to him, well, I'm actually interested in design and theology. And he almost got whiplash from that. <laughs> And he looked at me and said, really? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, just to let you know, he said, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God, especially your God. And I think religion has caused all the problems in the world and you Christians are the worst. Not looking for a fight, just saying. Mm. What do you think? And I replied, well, you know, Christians can behave badly. And there's, there's, yep, that's true. Can't deny it. But I think there's probably a bit more to the story than that. And he said, well, really, what about Constantine? So we were off. (laughs) And after about 15 minutes, I said to him, look, you know, I don't want to to dominate this conversation. Uh, Maybe we can talk about something else. No, 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 let's keep talking. We talked for three hours, there and back. And really, it was all about the way in which you can't have modernity apart from the Bible. Now, the Chinese know this. They're aware that actually the foundations of modern Western culture come out of the scriptures and often in ways that people don't normally get. So the idea that change is good. And if change is good, then you can't know the world by speculation. You have to see and hear and test. And if the cosmos is changing, then you don't have fixed hierarchical cities. They're also changing as well. And that's all dependent on the gift of the people involved, so they're not fixed hierarchies. The body is not the enemy, so there's not a constant battle between the body and the soul. Mm. That all people have equal value, which most of our modern cities are meant to you know, hold on to. And we don't do virtue and ethics. That's a little more surprising for some people. But we actually do trust, hope and care and compassion. And that was the burden of the conversation. When we finally got back to the Cotswolds, he got out of the car and he shook my hand and he said to me, you have completely fried my brain. (laughs) He said, I had no idea about how all of this worked. And then this self-confessed atheist said to me, 
you need to make a documentary. People need to hear this. Now, it's not about me, right? Mm, He was responding to the realisation, totally unexpected, that all the stuff about the modern world he likes comes from the Bible. And do notice this. Most people, when you talk about Christian impact in the world, hospitals, humanitarian societies, and that's all good. But even more foundational to that are these areas. And you don't even have to talk about Jesus or salvation or sin. The fact is that wherever there's modernity, people are already profoundly Christian, even if they don't know it. So it sounds odd to say this, but the gospel has actually won. No one really sees the world as they did in antiquity. And it came out of this text. So am I chuffed about the Bible? No, I'm not chuffed about the Bible. I'm obsessive about the Bible. (laughs) I am a nutter because, I mean, it's really helping me see that it's not only us who are made new creatures. It helped us see the world in you. And it's unleashed this explosion Mm. of human... Now, I know there's problematic elements to it. Mm -hmm. But as Edwin Judge would say... This thing unleashed the most extraordinary intellectual revolution the world has ever seen and we have no idea where it's going to take us. Mm. It could take us to starships on the shores of Sagittarius. And it's it's Mm mind-boggling. Behold, I make all things new. He is not kidding. Mm -hmm. So if you want to be a part of that, reading your Bible and reading it well, probably a good idea, I think. (laughs) Thanks, Rick. Sarah, why are you why are you excited about reading the Bible or studying the Bible? Well, um, I kind of like get more excited about the Bible. Kind of like the more I study, the more excited I get. But um, why I started studying the Bible, I guess the reason was that I want to do some kind of ministry. So of course, like I want to know, you know, what the Bible says. But also that when I Converted or like when I became a believer, as we say in Finland, like if you're a Pentecostal, when I became a believer, because, <laughs> you know, we we're all Christians there. So, right, right. Um, so I, I didn't know the Bible and um, I started reading it and I couldn't understand anything. Really, I had this experience like, OK, I'm, I'm trying to read, but I don't know what this is all about. Like, mm-hmm. no, no clue. So. So then, like, I, I understood that I really, like, I, I need to study, you know, this. Mm-hmm. I wanted to study. And also, like, this is kind of personal, but also um, I was pretty broken when I found Jesus or Jesus found me. Mm-hmm. And, and um, when I met God, like, this loving God, I wanted to know what he is really like, you know. I wanted to know more about him. And, of course, you go to the Bible if you want to know who he is. Mm-hmm. So I am still on this journey, you know, learning who he is. Mm-hmm. And that makes me very excited. Like, whatever I learn, and I learn all the time something, I get so excited. And it's also healing, you know. Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's really like, it changes you, you mm-hmm. know. When you meet God, mm-hmm. when you study the Bible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Um, it's interesting what you're saying is you remember looking at the scriptures and feeling like, oh, I don't, I don't know if I, I don't know if I get this. Um, and Rick, you spent tons of time in the scriptures, studying them academically and personally, and Sarah, so have you. How do we, how do we balance this whole idea of studying the scriptures in their original languages and the gift of that with being your average Christian, studying the Bible 
who doesn't who isn't studying it in their original languages and in, in the same depth? How do we how do we balance that? Is that possible? Talk yeah, whoever wants to. Right. Well, um, for the listeners, all the fingers are pointing in my direction, <laughs> which I think I meant to take as you're on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I, I think who was it? Uh, that famous American writer. Um, just having trouble remembering names today, but he said, it's not the things in the Bible I don't understand that trouble me, it's the things I do. And I think what that gets at is there's an awful lot in the scriptures you can understand that are profound, like love your neighbour. I mean, that, that's a lot to be getting on with right there. Mm. Now, who is Melchizedek? Well, that's kind of a nice little cherry, maybe off on a separate plate even, <laughs> but maybe not as important as loving your neighbour and all of that. So I want to say to the average Bible reader... And in no way paternalistic or anything like that. Um, loving your neighbour is absolutely critical. And when Jesus is asked what are the two great commandments, they are not learn Greek and learn Hebrew. Mm. They are love God, right, and then love your neighbour. Mm. So we can do all that kinds of stuff. Uh, at the same time, the Bible is a really rich book and it's more history than anything else. And we know, especially in the modern world with all the pluralism, so you can go down the street in Sydney and, or you might even be in a podcast at Regent and lo and behold, there's a Finn sitting at the table with you <laughs> and she's talking to someone from Sydney with a Canadian kind of here, whatever, am I right? Doing the, okay. So we live in this multicultural world and we've realised actually to honour one another, we need to know something about their backgrounds. And if I'm talking to a student, I don't ask for their DNA map, I ask for their history. Mm-hmm. Who were they? And that's what gives me a deeper understanding. And I think that's really all theological education is about. That word theology can sound very scary. It does have an abstractive element to it. But actually, all you're really doing is, well, here's a story. What's the context in which that makes sense? Mm. And uh, if you don't know that yourself, you'll provide a context. So Mm. you want to get with people who understand some of that and then they help you work out what's going on. And they're not just teachers, but there are other folks who do Mm. that. So. Mm. Sarah, do you want to say a bit more about that? Um, well, I, I think I, what I would like to say is that I would want to encourage people rather than kind of like discourage them, um, you know, to read the Bible. And then like Rick has, I've heard him saying um, that the Bible is kind of like, you know, the text is kind of like cookies on every shelf. So basically like there's so much you can understand, uh-huh. but then there is like so much more. And, like, how I feel about studying the Bible and doing, like, academic stuff is that that's, like, my way of, like, just pausing, wrestling with the text, you know? Like, for example, translating, studying Greek, is, is like, a spiritual exercise for me. So I actually, like, pause, I think about the text, what it's saying. Like, sometimes I feel that when I read the Bible in my own language or in English... I know what's going to happen. You know, like I know that, okay, Jesus is going to die and he's going to forgive and, you know, all those things. But, for example, like last year when I was translating the Passion Narrative and um, that was right before Easter time. So, and first you translate carefully what they are doing to Jesus and then how he says that, Father, forgive them. And that was a powerful powerful moment for Mm -hmm. me because... I stopped there, and it's kind of like a like I was participating really, because mm-hmm. I I had to like 
you know, kind of, you know, wrestle with the text. Yeah. So that, that's really, I love it. Yeah, I love it. So that's why I really love studying the Bible because it's not just like reading it quickly, but pausing and actually like the process, even, you know, like if you dive in to the historical facts, mm. it's you're actually like just pausing there mm. and just like want to know what's in there. And that shapes you. That's very, very like, transforms you really mm-hmm. that's what i love yeah. about studying theology really gets me so excited i'd like to pick up on that i was mm. just chatting to a fellow academic i don't like that word really but there you are um <laughs> just because it silos us and i don't think that's helpful but i think that language pointed or that term pointed to something that we were discussing and uh, i was blessed to be mentored and taught by gordon fee any of you have heard of him. And one of the things that struck me about Gordon was how seamless the transition was from working with this text, with all the skills that you had, to then hearing how you know, it actually spoke to us. So you saw Gordon really working as a pastor and a preacher. Mm. And then, you, you know, I remember sitting in classes with people just tears streaming down their faces, mm. they were meeting God, right? And my great worry is, I think the reason why... I'm, many people don't consider theological education is because we somehow pick up a form of doing this that has no room for those two elements. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's more this it's kind of abstract, if we're not careful, disengaged. Mm-hmm. But we're meant to be talking about the living God who wants to meet with us. Mm-hmm. And if that can't happen in the classroom... So I think what I've learned from Gordon is I have to model that. I have to model, here I am working, it's worth doing the work in the Greek, not so I can say and handle the Greek, mm. but that helps us hear the text that you were talking about. Right? And then as that word opens up, the spirit of God is present. Mm. And you know, it's about transforming us because these texts are all texts of transformation. They're not just description. Mm. They're summoning us to a different life. Mm. And to trust the Holy Spirit will do that. Mm-hmm. So I know there's you know, a bit of a crisis in theological education and people are saying, should it be online, should it be something else? I think that's kind of the wrong question. I think the problem is people are no longer meeting God in their classrooms and no longer being shown how that changes the world around them. And I think if we do that, people are going to be attracted to it. And that's my experience. When people experience this in the classroom, their faces light up, they see how it fits. It's a personal thing, not just... Mm-hmm. Uh, not kind of abstract steps, they actually see it embodied. And you'll hear the words of Paul, imitate me as I imitate Jesus. I think the classroom should be as much about that as anything. Mm. And then, you know, we're simply doing the Jesus as part of that imitation, mm-hmm. not as a thing in its own right. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that, that's mm. my not-so-humble yeah. opinion. No, yeah. And also, like, um, I just visited Finland a few weeks ago and somebody said to me, because I started explaining mm. why mm. I love studying at Reton and mm. I'm so excited about you know, studying the Bible. And then this person said to me, like, but you're so, like, all about kind of, like, you know, reason, intelligence and stuff, and I'm so emotional, and, like, you're not. And I was like, no, I actually, like, when I translate and when I, you know, do my homework, sometimes I cry, and sometimes (laughs) I just, like, stop and start praying, and I just cry, and I can be there, like, for, I don't know, like, 30 minutes just crying and being, like, God, like, you're so beautiful. Like, I didn't know that your word is so beautiful and you're so good. Like, I'm so grateful that I get to experience this. And this is something that I, I would like to people to understand, you know, and, and mm. just that, 
that is the reason why I want to encourage people to study because that's where you can actually go. That mm-hmm. it can take you there. Mm-hmm. Do you know it's funny? I was talking to someone this week, Rick, about taking last week. I said. Have you cried in your class with Ricky? I said because everyone always cries at some point because there is it is that there's a there's an impact of your affections and of yeah. your emotions and your mind. It's not this disconnected experience. Exactly. It's yeah. it's this integrated whole person. And good education is going to be like that. So anyway, they hadn't cried yet, but I said that it will come. Oh, when they got their exams. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's about life, no, yeah. you know, not something external. That's a great title. <laughs> Well, I should I remember think, that. I think I've heard like you, or maybe like because I've listened to Gordon Fee's lectures, so oh, maybe okay. you or Gordon Fee. <laughs> it's about life. It's about well, and everyone always quotes Rick and says it's about life. life. Everyone really gives the life. Kind oh of thing yeah, here. I get no respect. No, no respect. respect. No but then I probably don't deserve any anyway. No, so, that's you know. right. But um, this is the energy that you could like. Oh, the energies um in our in the room is good um. Uh, the the Bible's a whole story. Yeah. The Old Testament's got but some uh, things you, in it. You that said the naughty words. O T. But should we explain that for our listeners? Go for it. So all of you out there in podcast land, um, blue potties, whatever it was that the Beatles encountered in the yellow submarine or something with you, um, that was totally irrelevant. Where did that come from? Uh, I just. I've been thinking about this, trying to discipline my own thinking, and, and uh, you know we're all followers of Jesus. But I'll sometimes say, "Okay, good." And and where does Jesus ever call this stuff the Old Testament? Mm. Uh, none of the people who knew him best ever used that language. Why should we? And I think that's part of the danger. Mm. Uh, we use that language, and it's automatically marginalised. But mm. they actually call it the Scriptures. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know we're grafted into Israel, and of course that has some explaining, unpacking. Necessary. So, um, what we now do at our college is we don't have an intro to the Old Testament. We have an introduction to Israel scriptures, and the reason for that is there's still the scriptures, and you're grafted into this. So then you understand why what you do with Torah becomes an issue because that's part of Israel's narrative, and they have to deal with that. But we're not doing something different. And then, sorry to be repetitive, but it's those scriptures that gave us the modern world. We're not divorced from that. So it, it, for me, it's incredibly holistic. You know, I talk about design a lot and I, I think that the scriptures opened up that design space. Yeah. You wouldn't have had Apple if it wasn't for Jesus. Mm. You just wouldn't, right? Mm. No one in the ancient world thought like that. Mm. So, yeah, the scriptures of Israel and the yeah. larger story, I yeah. think that's critical. Right? Yeah. There's a reason they tell it in a narrative shape and not some other version. Yeah. Why? So why talk to us the importance of the whole narrative and yeah. how we would see okay. Israel mm-hmm. scriptures yeah. weaving into the into the scriptures well, of where we see Jesus coming to play. How it, we call it, 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 we still call it, it the New Testament. What yeah, we call well, the New whatever Testament? you like, you yeah. can come up with one, right? But yeah, um, language is important. Mm-hmm. We can, it is. It's absolutely critical. Yeah. So I mean, why does story matter? Uh-huh. Well, it depends on what you think the truth looks like. So to kind of set this off in another direction. Um, the Hellenists are asking question about, questions about truth too and they conclude if it's true, it can't change, which makes sense. Tell us who the Hellenists are. Oh, okay. Um, the Hellenes, this is what the Greeks call themselves. Mm-hmm. They okay. don't call themselves Greeks. They call them Hellenes, so Hellenists. Mm-hmm. That Hellenists are kind of an interesting mix of being Greek around the first century. So, uh, 
They're trying to work out what the truth is, and this astonishing leap of the imagination is that the whole universe has to somehow be rational. And that initially sounds like a good idea, except it's wrong. Everywhere you can test it, it's not true. The world's intelligible, which means you can make sense of it, but you have to do that by looking at it, not by making it conform to what we think is going on. Mm. Now, when they're thinking about what's true, then it can't change. If it's true, it's true, it's true, it can't change. And you look around, looked in the mirror lately, I have, talk about change, <laughs> terrifying, right? So everything changes, so you're not going to get truth by looking at the world around you. So how do you get access to the unchanging truth? Only through what's going on between your ears in those abstract kind of propositional statements. And they get very disembodied very quickly. So they, don't, they do history, but they don't go to history to get the truth. Mm-hmm. Now, I think the Bible understands humanity very differently that actually changes the gift. And the only way you learn about persons is a world where situations are different and I get to watch your response, right? Had you respond in a given situation, over time I learn your character. Mm-hmm. So if, if God is personal, you don't learn about him through some geometry or some algebra of propositions. Mm-hmm. You learn about persons through their actions in history. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, the other thing to add to this is we all have stories and those stories reflect our histories. But the interesting thing is this. History doesn't come to us in story form. We create those stories. Right? You had an awful teacher in grade three who made you stand up, asked you a question, you couldn't answer it, and, you know, that teacher humiliated you in front of all your classmates. And you're 35 and that's still the skeleton in the closet that comes out regularly. So we're creating all these stories, other people, and, and that's what we become, those narratives. We create them because you have to be a person and persons are about stories. So what's really going on with the biblical narrative, and we say this kind of almost trivially, you're invited into God's story, that is not a trivial statement mm. because you're being told you're actually not a fool or an idiot, you're made in God's image. Even if you have to be black and a woman, you're made in God's image. Because you're taught, well, I'm a woman, I'm black, and therefore... No, 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 no. Everyone's made in God's image. That's phenomenal. You wouldn't learn that by reason. Mm -hmm. You don't learn that by being rational. So in a strange way, the modern world is not the result of reason. It's It's the result of trusting a story that told you this in the beginning and you only get the fruit of it when you trust it. So I think that's why the narrative thing really, really matters. If you lose that narrative progression, you end up losing the personhood and I think you see that in the classroom, mm. right? As the classroom moves toward abstraction, you lose that deeply personal encounter engagement. Mm. So I think the Bible's brilliant. It doesn't do abstraction. Mm. It's all particular because that's who you are. You're a particular person. Mm-hmm. So people talk about personhood. We're not a personhood. I'm not a personhood. You're not, right? We're individuals. Mm. And you know, there's always that shift, I think, in Hellenistic thinking away from the particular to the universal and I think the Bible goes in the opposite direction. It's full of personal stories. Mm. David, right? Hannah, real people, Saul, right? Mm. Because that's really the grammar of life that we're scripted in. And for me, you know, biblical theological studies should be emphasising that. Mm-hmm. And it, that's what changes your life, right? You, you, yeah. Oh, I'm learning who I am. I'm learning who the world is. Mm-hmm. I rattled on, sorry. Mm-hmm. No, Beg we, pardon. Do you want to say anything about that? Um, about the importance of the Old Testament. Yeah, well, yeah, and and that whole, whole idea story. of story, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, when I came here, I didn't know what to do with the Old Testament, really. What she I, means is Israel's Israel scripture. Israel's story, yeah. Yes, yeah, it's like, I, I didn't really know, like, you know, like, 
what to do with it. I didn't understand it and the connection. And like, so then I took Rick's course, um, the Old Testament and the New Testament, you know, and, and I started to understand like, this is like one story, like one big story. And this is actually like my history, you know, mm-hmm. because, you know, mm-hmm. I follow Jesus and, and mm-hmm. yeah. Mm. So, yeah. Yes, that mm-hmm. was huge for mm-hmm. me. Really huge. Mm. Yeah. So now I know, like, it's, you know, one yeah. story. Yeah. yeah. So that whole idea of things change, people change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How does that, when we when we encounter things in the in Israel's story... Thank you very much. ...that perhaps don't make... Gold star, please. Thank you. Yep. Right. I've yep. been listening. Yeah. When we encounter things that perhaps seem problematic to us yeah. as mm-hmm. as postmodern readers... Yeah. Um, how how do we understand those difficulties? Mm-hmm. Is it the nature that is it the whole idea that things change? Mm-hmm. So are they descriptive or prescriptive or or whatever? How mm-hmm. do we understand mm-hmm. some of those difficulties that we encounter? What do we do with those? How do yeah. we? Does the story yeah. help us? Mm-hmm. Well, like, you see um, that we talk about this in the class on the use of Israel scriptures in the New just this week, mm-hmm. and the thesis of that class is the way to understand what appears to be sometimes a troubling use of those texts is to actually start with God being a person. Mm. And the critical thing is his faithfulness, his mercy and his justice. So we're going to get to your question. Mm-hmm. But if yeah. you look at what the New Testament does with things like the Torah, the law, it, it all pre- it's all pretty straightforward. It looks contextual. You know, they know how to read it. They're aware of that. It's when they get to the prophets that things begin to look a little strange. Like, how do men do that? So in the Olivet Discourse, Jesus picks up on Isaiah 13, which is about Babylon, and Isaiah 34 was about Edom, and he applies those to Jerusalem, and people say, what are you talking about? That's out of context, not talking about Jerusalem at all. But if you see the prophets as a reflection of the character of the same God who gave you the Torah, right? so the Torah articulates God's character in a kind of a legal sense, right? but it's that same character that's engaging with Babylon and Edom And you say, well, how did this consistent God who gave us Torah, how did he respond to Babylon in its arrogance? He judged them. How did he respond to Edom that betrayed its brother Israel? He judged them. So what's Jesus doing? He's saying, well, look at Jerusalem. What's Jerusalem done? It's behaving arrogantly. And it's betraying. It's going to betray me to the hands of the Romans. It's like Babylon. It's like Edom. Guess what's going to happen? Well, exactly how God dealt with Edom and Babylon, he's going to deal with Jerusalem. Right? So the character thing is critical. Right? So that's the first part I would say. You've got to start with God's unchanging character. Second thing, in a world that's changing. So I'm a dad and you know, my, my son's now in his 40s. I related to my son differently at three years old than I do at 40 and he's very grateful for that. Right? <laughs> I'm and sure I, he is. <laughs> and I think now the tables are beginning to turn actually. So, um, but you know, hopefully my character hasn't changed. But what we're doing is very different. So you know, when he's three, there's a certain way to respond to that. But when he's 40, there's a different way. And hopefully the thing that guides it is not, oh, here are five rules that always have to be applied no matter what. What if it's actually, I'm, you know, God is, has a life-giving character and he responds to different situations depending on the particularities. It's going to look different depending on those situations, mm-hmm. Right. So in that growth, there might have been a time when uh, it was the right thing to wipe out a nation. Now, that might scandal us as postmoderns, but who makes us the measure of truth? Really? Mm. Can we raise the dead? Really? So why should I be trusting you? What makes you think or me think that my voice is 
So maybe I have to just listen a bit and say, maybe God takes sin really seriously. Right? Maybe when I abuse another person or abuse his creation, God gets pretty upset about that. And we see examples of that. Now, the way that's going to be expressed in a later period might be different. And you do see that, right? The first time things happen, God often you know, is pretty clear about, hey, these are the boundaries. So Saul, God judges in some pretty serious ways. He never seems to judge later kings in the same way. And it's almost like he says, Here, here's the boundaries, but now I'm going to show more mercy as we go on. Hmm. Right? So there's that aspect. The final one is you have Torah, but Paul, Paul argues that Torah was never meant to be permanent. It simply had a function. Now, if you're thinking more Hellenistically, eternal abstract philosophical truths, that's really going to send you for a wobbly, to use that technical term. Yeah. <laughs> you know, how come he has Torah then changes? But if you start with Israel's view, it's God's faithful character in a world of change, you have room to say Torah serves a purpose, it reflects God's character, it's good and spiritual and true, as Paul says, but was never designed to give you eternal life or give you the spirit. And God takes human history seriously and at some point he says, okay, now we're done with Torah, Jesus comes and off you go. Mm. So I'd add those kinds of three mm. things. Think character, mm -hmm. recognise that we as postmoderns are not the measure of all truth. Right? And thirdly, because it's history and change, God is going to deal, you know, different things at different times. Mm -hmm. Sorry, anyway, that yeah, would be my Yeah, no, God. that's really, really helpful. Um, no, that's very helpful. And um, it's just that. You're pondering, aren't you? No, I'm thinking. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. No, go on. I think it's good. I, th I think that the whole idea that we're not the measure of all truth is like, yeah, that's a no-brainer. And so it's – but it's like when you put it like that. And I think the other thing is a, a bigger understanding of time. Yep. That, that what I experience right now mm. is not the measure of all things – um, and Sarah Williams has been here this week, and she gave a lecture on Tuesday mm -hmm. night about this on the Wednesday night about mm -hmm. time, mm -hmm. and that we need to be thinking a, bigger about mm -hmm. time, which the scriptures helps us mm -hmm. <laughs> helps us do. Um, anyway, yeah, it's great. Um, well, my son did his PhD in medieval studies, mm. and uh, not exactly high on the list of you know. But one of the things he said to me, he, he works over a large period of time and it's just, Dad, you need to have this longer perspective. There's, this, yeah. there's all this change in history and some institutions last and some don't and mm -hmm. people do really dumb things, even wicked things. Mm -hmm. you know, and you, you just have to deal with all of this flux and change. But in the middle of that you know, is this faithfulness of the character yeah. of God. And, yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. Sorry, you are um, writing your thesis on Second Corinthians. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. Why did you Why did you choose Second Corinthians? Uh, tell us a little bit about, about what you're learning. Tell us a little bit. Just tell us a little bit about it. Okay. So first, I might should start by explaining what I'm actually doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so Second Corinthians chapter three, verses one to three. So Paul talks about. The Corinthians being his letter of recommendation, written with the spirit, not with ink, not on stony tablets, but on fleshy hearts. Mm -hmm. um, so I am looking at the metaphor of letter of recommendation. People usually, when I say that, they're like, oh, well, that must be interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Meaning not. Okay, yes. but like how I ended up doing, you know, this. Yeah. I, I wanted to do something on the Holy Spirit. At first I thought that that would be dumb in a way, because I'm a Pentecostal, so that would be like too obvious. 
<laughs> and I wanted to do something else. But then I started reading Gordon Fee, and he wrote, uh, he writes in one of his books that, like, uh, the Holy Spirit is far more central to, like, you know, Paul's thinking of the gospel than we actually think. And, and that just, like, I don't know, I captured my attention. I was like, I want to explore that. Mm -hmm. So that I just ended up working with this particular passage. So I am, you know, so I'm focusing on the metaphor of the letter of recommendation. Mm -hmm. So basically what I'm doing, I am trying to find out why Paul is using this particular metaphor mm -hmm. of letter of recommendation. Like, you know, in that culture, they had letters of recommendation, mm -hmm. actually. Mm -hmm. And like how that kind of like affects the meaning. But also Paul is alluding to... Um, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, you know, like Old Testament passages, mm -hmm. and um, like, why? What is he doing mm -hmm. with those? You know, mm -hmm. and how how that Old Testament background or context like mm -hmm. affects the metaphor. Mm -hmm. So it is related to, um, you know, pneumatology, like Holy Spirit, mm -hmm. and also um, a little bit to the issue of like the law. Mm. you know um but it, yeah it's complicated like it would take oh, yeah. me like forever but i get yeah. to do cool stuff yeah so you know <laughs> second corinthians like so what's going verses. what's go but also the whole letter you know mm. like because that's the context that's mm -hmm. you know um so the whole letter like what's going on you know what is the relationship with between paul and and the corinthians mm -hmm. at that point mm. and um yeah, it's great. Like, I'm so, so excited. I love it. I love it. I love it. Yes. <laughs> yeah, totally. I've learned so much. Even when I was writing the um, thesis proposal, mm -hmm. that was mm. lots of fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love it. Friends, our time is almost gone. But if you have any little, anything else that you want to say, please do. Rick, do you have any advice for Second Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 to 3? Or anything else you want to say? Well, I know this is going to sound... Um well, I'll just say it. Uh, I think in all of this, it's got to be Jesus who's at the centre. Mm. And, uh, I mean, it would be a tragedy if we ended up knowing more about theology, as it were, or biblical studies than we knew about Jesus himself. Mm. And, you know, when I read the New Testament, he's the focus of all of this. Mm -hmm. Second Corinthians, that's who he's modelling. Uh, when I teach that, I, um, I teach First and Second Corinthians as um, Paul in the Hellenistic city. Mm. And then particularly Paul and the Hellenistic Great One. And you just see Paul's model of what it means to be a human being and a leader. Mm. And it's profoundly shaped by the example of Jesus. Mm. So it's about him, right? And uh, I would just say to people, yep, reading the Bible well is great. Learning how to do it you know, well is wonderful. It might sound odd, but um, just make sure one doesn't lose sight of the fact you're encountering in these texts none other than the Lord. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to see maybe that come back into our scholarship a bit more where we weren't afraid of writing about and as our Lord said. Mm. Mm. I think there's been a bit of movement away from that, but, you know, 50 or 60, maybe 100 years ago, great scholars would be doing that. They'd be talking about our Lord. Mm. I'd like to see that ownership of his lordship mm -hmm. more and more a part of what we do so mm. we don't lose sight of that. Mm. Thanks. And when I write, when I, you know, when I'm writing my thesis, I actually... I usually pray, you know, that I could be faithful, you mm -hmm. know, 
Mm. Yeah. the way I read the Bible and um, that I could learn something new about God and that that's exciting so that's mm. the focus really mm. like yeah yeah it's about God yeah and about life yeah about and life <laughs> yes. about yeah. life about life <laughs> yeah um, Sarah and Rick thanks so much for your time I feel like we could go on for hours and hours but we won't thanks for your time that only happens in class. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Thank you so much. Love okay. to chat to everybody. Thank Have a you. great day. Yeah. <laughs> Blessings. Thanks for listening to the Regent College podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. To discover more about Regent College, its upcoming events, conferences, courses, and more content like this, visit regent.net. That's R-G-N-T dot net.